we don't come from a country or a region that supports art or believes in the in the power of art or believes in change even you know but without art there's no expression and if you don't have as an artist if you don't have freedom there's no freedom of expression so what the hell are you talking about hello and welcome to the art persists podcast a new series offering a glimpse into the life of artists and activists from all over the world here to share their story with you the listener in each episode we feature interviews with artists who share their first-hand experience of using their work to stand up to some of the world's most feared dictators and regimes and individuals working day and night to protect them my name's Georgia and in the season finale we speak to Khaled Albay a political cartoonist from Sudan. Khaled's work, a confluence of journalism and art, first came to prominence during the Arab Spring. As one of the most influential Arab cartoonists of his generation, Khaled champions freedom of expression around the world, commenting on subjects such as immigration, race, power, conflict and identity. Alongside his work, Khaled is founder of the Sudan Artist Fund, Get Fada, Sudan Art Design Library and Doha Fashion Fridays. Sabah Al Khair, which is an Egyptian cartoon, political cartoon magazine, was was huge in in my life as a teenager. And before that, it was definitely comics, translated DC and, and Marvel comics and so on. They were translated into Arabic in Egypt and in Lebanon. And that was my intro into like imagination, you know, imagining different lives and, and so on. And that's, you know, made me ask a lot of questions, right? Um, sci-fi and so on. And um, yeah, so I guess it's it's comics, it's Sabah uh, al and Rosal Yusuf to do Egyptian uh, weekly magazines. And you said you were inspired by them when you were a kid. What what was your childhood like? Where were you based? And yeah, what was life like? I was in Sudan and then I came to Doha. My dad, like thousands of other Sudanese people, kind of lost his job in 1989 when the when Al Bashir regime came to power. Because, like, the party at the time, or the coup at the time, the coup leaders at the time, had a, um, a vision of what's called Temkin in Arabic, which is basically just replacing people with their own people, which is a very smart move, of course, because we in Sudan are facing an issue of kind of dismantling that Temkin until today, even after the revolution. So, like, thousands of, uh, tens of thousands of other Sudanese people, my dad had to leave Sudan, so we came, we came to Doha. And uh, that, I think that's when like politics became an interest for me, like the, that move, that shift from comics to reality, you know, from sci-fi to reality, and looking for superheroes in both in both worlds, you know. Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, how old were you at the time when you moved? I think I was like eleven, thirteen, something like that. Yeah, thirteen probably. And this is when we moved, and this is when I kind of just. You know, thinking of it now, it always it always takes me a while to settle in 
kind of in, in, a, in the place that I'm in, which is really bad because I'm, I have to travel a lot and it's, it's, I'm not in the right space to think or discover things around me until like, it takes me a while, you know. So I think it took me a while and then I realized that my dad started buying these magazines or he, or he bought them before, I don't know, but he, I, I just saw them, I noticed them in the house. And they had drawings, which I like, so I just picked them up and I started reading. And it was mostly, you know, political articles, but it had it had uh, a lot of cartoons in them. And uh, they talked about political situations. And and I had this interest in politics uh, because, you know, um, it was the reason why I didn't have a home. Yeah, yeah, of course. And at what age did you start to kind of pick up the pencil or pen and start making art yourself? I always drew. I always drew. I always drew. I always wrote. Uh, I'm not a good writer, but I always wrote. Ever since I was little, I was just, you know, I get, I, you know, I always watch a TV show and then I'll write something that it's exactly like that TV show. And, you know, and uh, I'll just make my own characters out of it. I, I love kind of like being inspired by other people and, and, and making that my own thing, you know. And that's even what happened with cartoons as well. I mean, it's, everything changed when, when I saw the cartoons of Najil Ali, the Brazilian cartoonists. Because for me, it was, you know, it was this shift between, you know, cartoons don't have to be like, haha, funny. They're real and they could, they're, it's, 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 an, it's a form of art, you know, it's not just a gag. So that, that really changed everything for me as well. Yeah, I can, and I can relate to it from the other side as a kind of art appreciator, because mm -hmm. I do feel like, for me, I'm quite visual. So seeing something has a lasting impact more than I would say words in my in my perspective yeah. and actually one of your works has really stayed with me um, over the years it's called worlds and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about making that work and how it has been able to reach people in ways that if you had maybe just written an article it couldn't have um, so the nice thing about cartoons and the nice thing about visuals um, is that anyone can relate to it, you know? Um, you could be a professor, you could be an eight-year-old, you know? You could have really depth and depth knowledge of the uh, subject and maybe not. And because it, it just, the, the colors or, or the, 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 the static kind of attracts you, you know? The, that that cartoon or that graphic or you know that artwork worlds came at a time when of course there was you know going Europe was going through was referred to as the as the refugee crisis right yeah and um, people are dying left right and center you hear about you know boats cavitating in the, in the middle of the ocean and you know all these stories and everything and it it's, it really affected me in a lot of ways because I know people that made that trip. You know, I know some of them made it, some of them didn't. And it was, for me, it was always like I, I could see myself making that trip as well. You know, um, I have better options, but it could, it could have been me. And being in Europe at the time as well, it was, it was really like different worlds. You know, like you go to, you go to the beach and then, you know, it's, and, and, you know, people are laying on the beach, enjoying, having fun. And um, then you look at your phone or you look at the news and then you see all these photos and videos of people that see just dying, right? It's the same sea. 
So just, you know, different perspectives of the same space. And um, I made a film, actually, after Worlds. Uh, and it was a video installation that I've made. It's called Bahar, which means sea. Uh, it's actually called Bahar five times. Bahar, 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 Bahar. And it was, it's, it's, um, it's inspired from this video I've watched of this Sudanese guy uh, that people are just circulating around in WhatsApp or whatever. And this is guy is very, you know, he's in a boat somewhere in the ocean and, and he's filming and he's saying that if, if you ever have the chance to make this trip, don't. And he's jumping over bodies. I don't know if these guys are sleeping or dead. I have no idea. And then he's moving the phone around like 360 degrees and it's just, all you can see is C, 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 right? And that really scared me, you know? And for someone to leave land, to go start a new life, and, and the fact that he's filming, and he doesn't even know if this film is going to make it or not, is incredible. It's like a message in a bottle, you know? Like, this guy doesn't know. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know if he made it or not. I have no uh, idea. Yeah. I mean, the video is there, but I don't know. So I, I kind of compiled all these videos that I started getting. And I asked people to send me more videos, and I just looked online and forums and so on. And it's incredible what you can find online from these videos. Yeah. So I made like a like an eight-minute art installation of like a day at sea. And it's all found footage of, of refugees at sea. Wow. So this is what Worlds is about. And um, this is kind of the extension of it is that I made, I made the, the, the video. Well, that's so incredible. And I think it's so important. I mean, being based in the UK, we've kind of just witnessed the slow, like you said, from the kind of the start of the refuge, so-called refugee crisis to Brexit and now our current government. It's like ideas such as sending asylum seekers to Rwanda that, you know, 10, 20 years ago would have been only the far right groups would have ever suggested are now becoming normalized. And yeah. I feel like it's, Actually, art is such a powerful way of just getting people to to step back and actually think about what what is what is going to happen to these people. Um, so yeah, really amazing work, and thank you for sharing that. Obviously, another big aspect of your work is is political commentary about regimes all over the world, but um, particularly in Sudan. But I was wondering, I know that it comes with considerable risk, and actually we previously interviewed an Iranian uh, political cartoonist who had to flee his country um, for fear of his life. And I was wondering, what are some of the threats that you faced? I mean, it's, it's, it's really because, you know, we live on the internet, you know, I work on yeah. the internet. Yeah. And the scary thing is, it's not the threats, it's you don't know who's bluffing or not. Mm. Because people say, Terrible things, terrible things, you know, especially if they're hiding behind a username or, you know, a fake account or whatever. Yeah. And you don't know who these people are. You don't know how true this is and you don't know what's going to happen. Mm. And that's, that's the scariest part of all. I mean, it's, it, the threats you're, you know, you, you kind of get used to it, but you're always in the back of your head thinking, what if, you know? Yeah. Uh, but somewhere, somewhere, you know, very straightforward. We're like, we're gonna, <laughs> we're 
you're not gonna like what happens if we see you you know wow. yeah. yeah and uh it was it was some guys who were related to some guys in the government in sudan and you know, I mean, luckily enough, I I, uh, I never got arrested in Sudan, mm. uh, but I got detained in you know in other countries. Uh, yeah. So it's 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 um, that I never got threats from actually. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Even maybe even scarier then because you don't know exactly who is who is watching. Exactly, exactly. So that's that's the whole thing. It's like you really. You have no idea who's reading, who's watching, and, and who's waiting. Yeah. No, it's so scary. It's, but um, I think it's even more amazing that you kind of dedicate your life to it. I don't know if it's amazing or, or dumb, <laughs> but, no. you know. From my perspective, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not coming from much, but... <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Sudan and the revolution and the protests, how the experience was for you when it first started. Um, were you in Sudan at the time or were you kind of watching and creating work as a commentary of what you were seeing from elsewhere? I was in 18, I was in Sudan. Uh, and it was incredible watching. Mm watching it happen. You know, when I go to Sudan, I normally go to Sudan and, I'm, and you know, I, um, I don't work while I'm there. You know, I, I use different ways to get into the countries and so on. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very careful when I'm there I'm not, to, not to get caught. So it's an incredible feeling, I mean, but it's also, it's mixed with fear. Yeah. And it's mixed with kind of just admiring these young men, mm. you know, and women, mostly, actually 2018 was mostly women, Yeah. you know, and it's, it's in, and, and, and you can, you can tell that, you know, people are fed up, like this is, this is it, you know, and this is, but that's the thing that, this, that's the feeling you get at the beginning of every revolution, you know, mm. people are fed up, but how is the government going to attempt to shut this down? How violent is it going to get? And, you know, from working in this field for the last decade during the Arab Spring and the other way, the second wave of the Arab Spring and all of these things that are happening, it can get very violent and things can get out of hand. So you don't know, like you really get, you really get to a point where, because this is, this is what most governments did after the Arab Spring is that, you know, they always tell you, oh, you want to be like Syria. Yes. You know, you want to be like Yemen. Yes. You know, and, and. It's scary. It's a scary thought. And do, you know, as, as a person that is, you know, involved in these things or a commentator or whatever, do I really want to push people to, to that fate? Yeah. While I'm not, while I'm not there, you know? Mm. So it's, it, it, it really makes you question your own values. I mean, so at, at a certain point, I had to step back yeah. and just kind of try to empower the people that are working, Yeah. try to echo um, artists that are there and cartoonists who are there and, you know, whoever that's working and just wish more news 
of what's happening to the outside world and uh, try to like reach out to news agencies and stuff. So I, I, I kind of like the last revolution and I, I, I don't think I've done much work. Mm. You know, there were, there were younger people who were doing amazing work and, and I, I wanted to popularize their work, yes. you know, just push their work forward. And it's really interesting what you say, because I guess that thing of using the examples of what's happened in different countries, I've noticed that it's being used both by protesters and by regimes. So last week I interviewed a an amazing couple from Myanmar who were recounting their experience of the 2021 military coup there. Mm. And they were getting information from uh, Hong Kong protesters who were actually sharing all their, yeah. they made tons of documents expertise and stuff. And stuff expertise. Yeah. And I also actually remember from Sudan, chants in the streets, I think, with people saying, mm. we're not going to be like Egypt when, you know, when the army was kind of taking all control. Yeah. But I also know that your work was used and replicated in different protests around the world. So I think also in Egypt, I remember uh, people mm. were using your work. How does that feel to see your work kind of being used in around the world from people, but in different contexts? I use the word scary a lot, <laughs> but it is, it's very scary yeah. because it's, it's, uh, first it's, it's kind of, it cemented my belief that of solidarity, mm. you know, that we're all fighting for the same thing and that the cause is one mm. really, you know, not just for the region. I mean, if you look at Myanmar, if you look at Black Lives Matter, if you look in Sudan everywhere, mm. you know, Syria, it's, 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 it's the same issue. Yeah. It's injustice at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, and knowing what's happening, having a real information about what's going on, connecting to real, um, you know, citizen journalists that are on the ground doing things, seeing what can help, you know, and doing something that reflects that is something that I'm very, very proud of. And it's an unimaginable feeling. You know, yeah. when you see protesters, you know, in Australia or you see your favorite, you know, the artists you most respect, like Dave Chappelle or, you know, whatever, wearing your work or, you know, yeah. protesters in Egypt. I mean, that was the first time, actually, you know, protesters in Egypt kind of also having some of my work there. You know, I'm, no one knows who I am. It's just something that they found on the Internet, you know, mm. which is incredible. You know, this is this spoke to them and, and they yeah. used it. It has nothing to do with me whatsoever, you know. So it's it's uh, it, it gives the art life. Yeah. You know, it's about this spoke to me. This says what I want to say. And what's more, you know, incredible that it's not even from here. That's not, you know, this is the person that's not even from this place, but he knows what we're going through. Where is this person from? He's from Sudan. Oh, okay. Where? What's happening in Sudan? And this is what's yeah. happening in Sudan. This, this, this solidarity mm. is extremely important. And this is really kind of the thing that a lot of governments or most of the governments, authoritarian governments, don't want you to have. Yeah. Right? You know, the, the civil rights movement became international and became a threat to, to, to the American government mm. and the CIA and all of these things when they came to Africa. Mm. You know? They came to Africa. They were in the, you know, uh, they were in Algeria. They had uh, they had meetings in Algeria with the PLO. They had meetings with, with you know, with the Algerian revolutionists. And that was, you know, that was a turning point. Yes. You know, and it's the same thing when when 
you know, protesters in Syria are chanting about, you know, Sudan. And when, you know, people in Lebanon and Sudan are chanting the same thing, the same thing in Algeria, the solidarity shows that, you know, we know what's going on. And this was, you know, it's, it was always hard to connect. It's always hard to connect because, you know, you grow up telling you that, with people telling you that, the, you know, the people on the other side are not like you, mm. you know, they wouldn't be like you. They will, they're here to replace you. They're here to do this, and, yeah. you know, and when you find out that, no, you know, we're fighting on the same side. This is, this is what we want. This is what we want. We want justice and we want, we want it for all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and uh, this is, this is when it gets scary, you know, and, uh, and now it's even worse with, with algorithms and, and social media. Mm. You're just going around in your own uh, filter bubble. Yes. Really that, you know, you, you don't know what's going on. I mean, it's, before it was the news that don't get to you. After that, it was the TV channels that don't get to you. And now it's just news on social media that will never get to you. Yes. You know, so and you see, you see a lot of examples about that. You know, mm. the, the, the latest being, you know, Instagram uh, uh, censoring the Sheikh Jarrah uh, protests in, in, in Palestine. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you can't even see. It was shadow, shadow banning became a thing now, you know. So like just the whole thing just gets deleted off the internet. It's crazy. And, and it's crazy, you know, but, but resistance always finds a way out. Mm. You know, creativity always finds a way through. Yeah. You know, when they did that, what the Palestinians started to do, they started to write without dots. They started writing Arabic without dots. So even algorithms wouldn't catch it, mm. you know. So there's, there's always creativity. It takes time. But you can't, you know, you can't hold us down forever, you know. Yeah, Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about this book, which I actually have here, Sudan Retold, which I um, bought when oh, I saw it. Oh, amazing. Thank yeah. you for buying I love it. I got it um, when it came out. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Can you talk about... We're working on part two. Are you? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're working on the second edition right now. I look forward to it. Um, yes. Can you tell us about putting that together and, and why, why you decided to put it together? Absolutely. So, because I'm from Sudan... No one knows a lot of things about Sudan. Even Sudanese people don't know a lot of things about Sudan. Our history is written either for professors, you know, uh, and for research, or, you know, the, just, it's written to fit into, you know, what, what students can, can just, you know, this identity that they wanted to create, which fits into a certain narrative, right? And everyone grew up with that. And uh, history is very important. And if you look at, you know, the, the region's history, not only Sudan's history, it was mostly written not by people from the region. Yeah. Right. And that's that's a huge issue because if if you, if you don't know where you're coming from, you you wouldn't know where you're going, right? Yeah. And it's and it's it's really about finding what happens because you know history repeats itself. Yeah. Right. And if you do believe that this happened before and it succeeded, you know, it could happen again. Mm. And trying to like build a, a national vision and, and an identity and, and whatever. And, and at the end of the day, you know, what the sad thing is that most, most you know, they, they always say, oh, you know, this region, the Middle East, you know, like it's always been, it's always been an issue. No, it hasn't. It, yeah. hasn't. <laughs> it has not always been an issue. Yeah. You know, these, these, these borders are drawn not by us. We never yeah. drew these borders. I mean, I, I come from, I say I come from Sudan right now. Was Sudan called Sudan 100 years ago? Mm. 
maybe, but it, it didn't have these borders. Yeah. You know, it was just land of the black people. That's what it was mm. called. You know, Ethiopia, that's what it was called, mm. right? And then after World War II, or, you know, they, people just like, you know, this is, you take this part, I'll take this part, you take this part, I'll take this part. Let's make a new country here. There you go. You know, yeah. and this became our land. This became what we fight about. Things that we don't even, we didn't even have a, we didn't even have a hand in doing. You yeah. Know? Which is ridiculous if you really think about it. So this whole post-colonialism field, this whole, you know, these, these, these military regimes that, that, you know, came in the 70s and 60s as an answer to uh, anti-imperialism and blah, blah, blah. And then they themselves turned into authoritarian regime because, you know, th there's no way to survive against an imperialism unless you become that, you know? Mm. So not that, that that's an excuse, but this is, this is what happened. I, I always had this idea of why don't I write my vision of, of history from what, I, from what I read, my own information. And I started writing and I was like, all right, I'm going to do a comic book. This is going to be my first comic book. And then I was like, all right, but this is the issue again, that this is my vision mm. of what happened, right? Then why don't I ask other people to do it, you know, as well? And then I was like, why am I only asking illustrators? Why don't I ask a musician? And, uh, you know, so I, I, I moved on with the idea and I've met with uh, my friend Nayada Adil introduced me to her friend. Her name is Larissa. Mm -hmm. She works for the Gota Institute. And... I told her about the idea and she's like, let's do it, you know, let's do it. I was like, all right, let's do it. And then we made an open call. We had uh, a lot of people come through and the book was born, you know, and it was incredible because we looked at oral histories. We tried to look at everyone's personal story and what we can come, what can come from it and what can we do with it? How can we present that visually? How can we present that in our artistic way? So it's not about, it's not a history book. It's an art book about history. Yeah. And the future, you know. So it's 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 a it's a very interesting book, I think. For for it's like an introduction to a very rich area, you know, a very rich history that's sadly being ignored mm. because of, of 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 what's going on, because of the you know the the politics of the region, because of this and, you know this diversity, which should be our power. Mm you know, became our weakness because now it's, it's the source of war. It's the source of all of this. And, and, and it should be the other way around, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's really sad as well because like for one of the first things that happened after the revolution were people like, we should leave the Arab League. Mm. You know, we as Sudan are not Arabs. We are Africans. We should leave the Arab League. And if you ask, you know, most of these people that said that, what is the capital of Burkina Faso? No one would know. Yeah. Ask them, what is, uh, you know, the, the last uh, poem by, uh, I don't know, whoever, right? You know, any Arabic poet, and they will know, mm. you know, it's, it's because we are culturally Arab. Yeah. We are culturally Arab. I mean, that's what it is. And this is a superpower. You're both things. You know, if you go to Sudan, it's, it's, it's really interesting because if you go to Cairo, you're in Cairo. It looks like Cairo. This is Cairo. A lot of people that look Egyptian. Mm. This is Cairo. If you go to Kenya, you're in Kenya. There's safari. There's a lot of people that look Kenyan. This is Kenya. This is how it looks. If you go to Sudan, you're both in Kenya and you're in Egypt. Yeah. Right? The food, the people, the ethnicities, it's an incredible mix. Mm. You know? Everyone, like every family, most, uh, yeah, 90% of families, right? Especially in the center of Sudan, 
looks like an ad for United Colors of Benetton. <laughs> you know, and it's, 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 this is, this is the most powerful thing. Yeah. And we're, we're totally neglecting that. And this book is about that. This mm. book is about the oral history. This book is about trying to get different stories from different sides that you don't really read mm. or, or study or the, the students don't read. And this is the first thing that they also tried to change after the revolution. And it was a a huge backlash, you know, as well. Amazing. Well, it's a fantastic book. And like you said, it's, I love what you said about art telling the history. And I, for one, learned a lot from it. So thank you for that. That's good. That's good. My final question for you is, it's about an article, actually, that I read of yours recently. And I think it was in The Guardian and you were talking about kind of feeling despair uh, towards Dar and the world, but that you feel hope when you see your children. I think that your kids put on like a protest or something. Many protests. Many yeah, protests. Yeah. And I was wondering just kind of off of that, how you how you think about the future and whether you're hopeful or not. You should never ask a political cartoonist yeah. if they're hopeful. <laughs> you work in the most, <laughs> the most negative... <laughs> <laughs> All right. because we are you know uh, we're realists mm. you know cartoonists political cartoonists are realists realists we see the world we interact with the news we interact with journalists but we also interact with you know real people on on, on the ground we talk to people and as i said you know with you know with sudan revolution for example right it was 2011 2013 2019 and it's still happening Right, it's longevity. It's it's uh, it takes it takes a toll on you, and yeah. it's uh, and this is a lesson that you learn after you burn out. Mm. You know, and this is what this is what happened to a lot of us. That you burn out. You know, you you get so deep into this that you forget yourself. This becomes your life. Yeah. Right. This resistance. This 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 fight. This constant fight every day becomes your life and at a certain point you're like am i even maybe they're right Mm. you know maybe we're not like because you just realize that you were never going to win you know and and like everything else just seems like a waste of time you're like well you know okay so what if i draw a cartoon what if i write a song what if i you know i'm 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 outside my country i can't go in i'm um i'm threatened by this and by that Mm. what do i do you know, is it is it really worth it? You know, maybe this this piece that they speak of is <laughs> is 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 actually the answer. Mm. You know, maybe freedom really doesn't mean anything. What is freedom? Mm. What do I need to do? You know, what so what if they are tapping my phone? I'm not doing anything wrong. Mm. It's tough because it's it's not a job. I don't get paid doing cartoons. A lot of a lot of these activists don't get paid yeah. doing what they want to do. You know. They do it because they believe in it. Mm. They believe that in change and change is going to come, but change doesn't come in a day or two. Yeah. And it's, and, and this is this, this is what I've learned so far is that you need to know that you need to breathe, you know, let others lead. Mm. Move others forward. The book, Sudan Retold. The Sudan Artist Fund, which I started, 
I started a, uh, a comic library because of Sudan artists, uh, because of Sudan Retold, because when I were doing the workshop for Sudan Retold, I couldn't even find material to give us examples for the, for the book. So I started this comic library, mm. right? And which I'm, I'm trying to grow now and I'm trying to work on it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not finding any funding. So, but this is, this is what I think um, I've given, or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build another generation and support another generation that can move forward and then they support another generation. We don't come from a country or a region that supports art or believes in the, in the power of art or believes in change even. You know, mm. but without art, there's no expression. And if you don't have, as an artist, if you don't have freedom, there's no freedom of expression. So what the hell are yeah. you talking about? Yeah. Right? So if we don't give these artists a chance to talk, and sadly, they need the money to do that. Yeah. You know, and this was one of the things that are happening now after the revolution, that I actually know artists that said, listen, you know, we're going to go have to work for the army because... You know, I have um, kids to feed. What yeah. am I going to do? You know, so it's if they do this propaganda stuff, they do this stuff because they they don't they don't they can't do anything else. Yeah. Right. So what I came up with is that we need to build our own systems, and we need to, you know, put other people forward and and support them so that they can support the next generation because this change is not going to come in a day. Yeah. And this change is constant. It's not, you know, nothing is going to be great and we're all going to live happily ever after. That's never going to happen, you know? Mm. So we need to be ready for that. We'd like to thank Khalid for joining us for this week's episode. If you'd like to learn more about his work, please find links in the description. Thank you for joining us for the first season of the Art Persist podcast. If this is your first time listening, why not go back and check out our other episodes? From a Uyghur singer and activist, recounting how she uses songwriting to spread awareness of what's happening to her people, to a Ukrainian artist using her work to document the invasion of Ukraine, along with a Myanmar couple recounting their dramatic escape from the country, and much more, there are some amazing stories to be heard. If you've enjoyed the Arpsis podcast season one, please rate and share it online. Only with your help can these important stories be heard. Thanks for listening. and We'll be back soon with season two. See you then.